think it's important, again, to not just focus on what goes viral, but to truly value strong content. Because strong content, I think, will always be surfaced to the right fans that will get that engagement that they're looking for. My hunger to keep learning on the job is really what helped me gain so many new skills that could then be transferred to more roles to lead to those promotions. How are you starting your episode? What's that first shot that they see? And it doesn't have to be someone screaming. It doesn't have to be like a slam dunk. It's just how obscure and engaging can that moment be where people have to stick around to watch, see what happens next. This is the Work in Sports Podcast. Here's VP of Content and Engage Learning at WorkinSports.com. Brian Clapp. Please allow me to rant for a second. Back in 2009, Mike Florio, the guy behind Pro Football Talk, which if you're listening to this show, I'm sure you're acutely aware of, formed a, quote, wide-ranging partnership with NBC Sports, which is a nice way of saying NBC Sports paid him a lot of money to be part of their brand. Back in 2009, this made me really, really mad and maybe still a little bit today. There is some residual effect here, I'll be honest. My problem is this. Pro Football Talk aggregated other people's work, compressed them into 200 or 300 words, and repackaged them as their own. They didn't do their own reporting. They didn't do their own work. And Mike Florio got rich off of it. So for example... If an intrepid reporter for the Indianapolis Star wrote a piece on Jim Caldwell being on the way out as head coach of the Colts, remember, this is a flashback to 2009, PFT would take the reporter's article, republish it their own, maybe tweak it around a little bit and celebrate the victory. Yes, I will acknowledge, Florio would write some of his own legal content because he had a background as a lawyer. And yes, some of you are going to think that I am just jealous, which is also true. I will admit that. But what this really comes down to is respecting the creators. We are in the golden era of creative, if you ask me. And that goes to YouTubers, social media influencers, writers, podcasters, producers, you name it. We are in an amazing time right now where the stuff that is being created is so unique and powerful and emotional. And that idea of someone profiting off of somebody else's work really rubbed me the wrong way then. And like I said, still does today. But that's why I love today's guest, Nicole Williams, lead sports producer at Snapchat. Snapchat is part of the creator revolution, highlighting the artists who are producing impactful pieces that touch on more than just transactions and contracts because sports is so much broader than that. These creators are digging into the emotion, the feeling, the connection. Snapchat is shining the light directly on these creators, which is the world I am here for. Let's learn a little bit more about it from today's guest, Nicole Williams, lead sports producer at Snapchat, who is also managing her one-year-old son during this conversation. So he's super cute. And if you hear a third voice in this conversation, just envision this amazingly cute little face staring at the camera while we were all talking to each other. So That's your picture. Visualize that. Let's get into this conversation. Here's Nicole Williams. Hey, Nicole, what's happening? We've been trying to do this interview for a while. I'm so excited to talk to you finally. (laughs) Same. I, uh, I can only say it's almost like a date. Like the more we kept rescheduling, the more I was like, I can't wait to meet this guy. So I'm super excited to talk sports, obviously, about my experience. So thank you so much again for setting this up. 
for sure. I, I'm excited to talk to you. This is, this is really cool topics as we get into content and how it's changed and your career and all these developing things that are happening in our world and in the sports world. This is exciting stuff. I mean, your experience at ESPN, Bleacher Report, Snap, this is what people want to hear about. So let's just dig in. Let's start a little bit back at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Your background. Why sports? Why did you say like, hey, this is a career I want to follow? What drove you this direction? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I think I have a very, like, cliche story where sports have just always been involved in my life. Like, I competed in sports all year in school. Uh, my older brothers, I, I'm the youngest daughter of two older brothers. They also were very sports uh, uh, sports invested. My dad coached Pop Warner. So sports have just always been invested in my life. Um, and then from there, it wasn't actually until I got to University of Georgia, where I went for school. My professor at the time had just given me like the light bulb to say like, you know, you can do this as a career if, if it's a place you're very comfortable with. And then they put me through a, a, a series of classes that were involved in like Sports 101, writing for the Red and Black Journal then. Yeah. And that's really what birthed my love for sports. And then seeing it as a professional career as well. It's so cool that you have a professor that kind of advocated for you too and said like, you know, you can do this, right? This is a legit thing you can actually pursue because yeah. I think so young, I mean, we expect young people to come up with, this is my whole plan for my whole life and and that's not necessarily fair to do at that phase. It's nice that you got some outside influence to help you in that in that journey. Yeah, and honestly, I was the guinea pig for like a full sports media certificate program that's now offered at University of Georgia. Like, it's uh, Dr. Welch Suggs and Dr. Vicki Michaelis were the two people who came to UGA to start this program where students can learn about sports beyond just, I think, the typical majors like sports business. Yeah. It was sports production. And it really just transformed, like, my whole view about how I could work in this space. So I was really thankful to be a part of that, like, inaugural class that learned how to, you know, write for the paper at 10 Mm -hmm. events where you're actually interviewing athletes and then to see it as a career. It was really awesome that they were able to give that experience to me as a senior in college. So I know Vicky Michaelis. Uh, I've, oh, awesome. I've interviewed her before. I think she's fabulous. I think the Grady program is incredible. Yeah. Your first stop, you go right to ESPN. I mean, that's pretty cool. That's that's mm-hmm. that's a testament to you know you really developing yourself and being ready for that because those are really competitive roles. What do you remember about that Ooh. first kind of process trying to get that first position, get that interview, go through that process? What do you what do you recollect from that ESPN experience early on? It's honestly something I have never, I will never forget because I had a sports quiz as a part of the interview process. Yep. I had one of those too. I got you. Yeah. Go ahead. So, you know, you're working at a company like ESPN, which obviously touches all sports and you, and I, it really was a wake up call for me because I thought I was, you know, very confident in my sports knowledge. And I realized like in the sports quiz, obviously they're going to talk about more than football and basketball. And I've actually realized that was a huge crutch for me because I thought I was really well versed in sports, but I didn't know like just a general sense of all sports. And so during the sports quiz, he was asking me like, who won March Madness? Who won the latest tennis tournament? Who's the top players right now in the PGA? And I completely blanked. I'm not a good oh, yeah. And that day above all, I realized just how small I could possibly feel even on a phone call. And um, I honestly, at the end of the quiz, I probably bombed it. I just asked him, I really wish I could have done better. Like what resources would you recommend me to start pursuing to improve my sports knowledge because obviously there's more to sports obviously than football and basketball and he was very well receptive to that question and he gave me a bunch of links and articles to start reading and then they gave me a second interview so what a smart follow-up really smart (laughs) but yeah they gave me another try and I aced it like I was even talking so much where he's like well we got to get to the actual interview so 
It definitely was a wake-up call. And I realized a lot of other people, sometimes they come in saying, I'm a huge sports fan, but they only know, the, obviously, their favorite sport. I remember. So I had the same thing. I had a sports quiz when I got hired at CNN Sports Illustrated. So first phone interview, boom, get the sports quiz. I wasn't prepared at all. And this was 1996. So the oh, first wow. question was, the fir- yeah, the first question was, um, who were the two most recent uh, expansion teams in the NFL? Oh. And I swear to you, I think I talked to other people who had the same quiz. Now, this was the this was the Panthers and Jaguars in 96. So it was a very easy question. Like, that's a pretty simple one. Mm-hmm. And I heard from other people that what they did was, if people couldn't answer that first question, they just stopped the whole process right oh, there. Wow. Like, if you couldn't know, like, the most basic kind of yeah. entry-level kind of thing, then we're done. And hearing that, it's like, wow, there's a lot of anxiety that comes from this. So what a great move for you to advocate for yourself and say, I'd like to do better. What do you suggest? I love that (laughs) humility. That's so cool. Gosh, yeah. I mean, I I just felt so slow. And I just really knew that even if I don't get this role, I know I wanted to, I knew I wanted to work in sports. Yeah. So I was just more interested in like, how can I do better? So if the next role comes around, I can try to get that role by showing the knowledge I needed to have that clearly I I didn't have at that point. And so, yeah. And so getting the job at ESPN was just incredible for me. Like I was super excited. Okay. So you had the second interview, you nail it and they're like, great, you're hired. I mean, and then yeah. you show up first day, first year. What's that like? Yeah. So um, it's in Bristol, Connecticut, which is also another wake up call. Just nowhere. <laughs> yes. Which is nowhere. <laughs> that's, a, that's a harsh reality right there. <laughs> so to go from Georgia to there was definitely very different. Um, and I started out as a production assistant. So I was cutting highlights for Sports Center. I was managing like the shot sheets. So a little bit of the general grunt work. And um, honestly, it was great for me because again, I got to learn about so much. I got to work at a company that has their hands in so many different things. Like even beyond sports, there's that entertainment level as well. So it was just so exciting for me. And I moved out on my own and just really just working the graveyard shifts, but with with a bunch of other peers who are also in that same boat which I think really creates a lot of strong friendships because you both are just like, 3 a.m., why are we delivering shot sheets to SVP? And it's just like, it's a really good bonding experience. So, and I really liked it because I got my feet completely wet in just all sports and just really Mm -hmm. figuring out like, oh gosh, this is really how it works. I absolutely adored that phase of my career. Same sort of thing, working crazy hours, cutting highlights of like West Coast games. And you're like, I just want this Mariners A's game to end. And it's like in the 14th inning and it's like 3.30 in the morning. And you're like, I'm so done with this, you know, like, but I loved it. You're right. It's like a little community that happens. And I, mm-hmm. I totally adored that. Uh, so you grew pretty quickly. You were promoted often. Why? What did you do when you were on the job that first year or two to really present yourself as I'm a high riser at this organization? What did you do that you think helped you stand out? That's a good question. I honestly feel like I just was really interested in my job. Like I I was truly invested in just like, how can I do better? How can I learn more? So I really didn't turn down much of anything, like any opportunities. And then I was just really hungry to improve the knowledge that I didn't have in other areas. Like for example, I knew I was really really not well-versed in baseball. Like, that's just not something my family watched. So actually, it wasn't something I watched often. So I started watching baseball games. One of my best friends ends up producing, she ended up producing for the MLB show, and then she now currently still there. And she would just watch games with me. And so I think I just had that true interest in learning on the job. Like, I didn't stop learning once I got the role. And I really think that helped me. And then I eventually got an offer to work on the social media team at ESPN, And I was excited because that just gave me more areas to experiment and to try out new things. So it was really cool just that my hunger to keep 
learning on the job is really what helped me gain so many new skills that could then be transferred to more roles to lead to those promotions. That's so smart to identify where you're weak and try to improve there rather than just leaning into where you're super strong already. I think that's a really smart process. What was that like shifting to the digital side then and being on the social media team? Was that a complete shift for you? It was a complete shift, but it also is something that I really enjoyed. Like I've always had, I I guess, this creative side of myself where I just loved... um, just trying out new things. And with social media, like my one little gripe about myself, like I feel like I'm a people pleaser at times. I want to know like, how well did I do this for you? Like, was this well received? And the one thing about social media is you have numbers that could truly tell you right then and there, this was well received Mm -hmm. by an audience or not. And so I really became almost obsessed with the comments and the analytics world of social media to see how well things were being received that I created. And I think, again, that Mm -hmm. created that whole new wave of hunger. It's like, I want to produce the most top I mean, the top performing post for us on social. Oh, yeah. It can become obsessive, right? When oh, you're looking yeah. at the data all the time <laughs> and you're carving things up in different ways and looking at impact and you're like, why wasn't that huge? That was the greatest idea I've ever had. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. I, I totally, it can be very frustrating at times, but in a good way too, it helps you gain focus. So mm-hmm. I thought it was ironic that when I was doing some research into your background and looking through things is that at a, as a content producer at ESPN, you actually created content around Snapchat, which is kind of ironic and almost foreshadowing. (laughs) I mean, it almost like predicted your career moves. Yeah. And um, honestly, um, when it first came about talking about the grind hours. So when I was a content producer, I was a little bit more comfortable in my role. Like I had not a nine to five that actually don't think that exists in sports, but it was definitely a comfy schedule. And when we had to do the Snapchat show, it was really um, some unattractive hours again, because basically we were releasing highlights of what happened in sports for the morning people who woke up. So that means if they're getting something to to watch at 8 a.m., that's like a full digest of the day before. Someone's cutting stuff all night. They're making Uh sure it's polished. They're doing the QC. And I was the producer that had to oversee the night shift for Snapchat. So it did come with a bit of complaints. I was like, this is ridiculous. And I know my (laughs) manager today would be like, oh gosh, but it was so well received on our end. Um, But it was really cool because again, it was something new and I had to challenge myself about how to, you know, resonate with the new audience. And I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's a totally different audience. It's a totally different approach. And I I think that is, I can see where you're coming from on like, it is really interesting to create content to reach different types of people and understand that audience member and what they need Mm -hmm. and what they want and how to message it for them. Like, that's a fun challenge to figure out how to appeal to different audiences. Yeah. And that's the one thing I actually um, have come to really respect is just that There's one side where people think they can just take the same video and just put that everywhere. Mm -hmm. And honestly, every platform has a different audience. They have a different way they engage with content. Obviously, I've learned that more than ever now at Snapchat. But even just through my roles at ESPN and Bleach Report, I just saw like how much we have to make sure we're speaking to our audience. Yeah. And one of the best notes I kind of learned during my journey was just how like almost picture your your brand on social as like a character or a voice or like a friend. And I remember someone said at ESPN, this is like the Franklin of the world. Like, cause ESPN obviously has a bit of an older touch, but you're also, you could be the cool guy at the bar that like gives some cool info and people want to hear more from you. Yeah. And so it's like, how do you think that way with everything you post? And so now at every role I have or the platform I have, I think of what character am I? And then how do I speak to that with the content that we have on our platform and how we're sharing it? Okay, so you got to dig deeper now. So what is the character then for Bleacher Report and Snapchat? 
Oh my gosh. So Bleacher Report was like the cool guy, right? They're like the Deontay. Yeah. Like obviously yeah. they have a diverse background. They're younger. <laughs> they can say the latest trends in music and people aren't saying like, oh, you're forcing it, trying to fit in. Right. And that's why I really was even attracted to work there. Like I wanted to get a different experience about not so much competing of like who's better in the social space, but clearly Bleacher Report's voice was not ESPN's voice. Yep. And I wanted to see what it was like to be on that side of, of the field. And so it was really cool to have that experience because I did feel that way. I felt like we had our hands not so much on getting the highlights first, but we had a way to speak to people who felt like they were talking to their friends. Like we were yeah. just as young, we were just as hip, which I really enjoyed. Yeah. And Snap, I feel like it's just a completely different experience because now I'm on the outside looking in at all the partners who are creating content for us. Okay. And I feel like things are constantly evolving because user interests are constantly changing. Like we have so many trends now that come about in a matter of hours. And if you didn't catch that wave, there's no reason to talk about it because yeah. you now have to catch the new one. So Snap is just constantly changing. Like I think I'm still evolving like in what that character could be because it's different every time. Oh, that's kind of cool. I like that. So, okay, let's go back to the Bleacher Report shift for a second. So yeah, going from ESPN to Bleacher, obviously the big question is why. I mean, a lot of people can go to a place like ESPN and spend their entire career there. But it sounds like what mm -hmm. you're saying is this transition was a little bit liberating. Like, because yeah. a place like ESPN can be very segmented. You do exactly these things. You sp speak in this tone, in this voice. You deliver at this time. Mm -hmm. And was Bleacher Report just an opportunity to find more of your own voice? Yeah, and it also was a bit of, I think there's a, like the motto for me is like, I want a job that doesn't feel like work. Like I am constantly hungry to learn. I am hungry mm -hmm. to challenge myself and to grow. And I think exactly to what you're saying, there was a point in my experience at ESPN where I felt like I knew everybody, like in the, not everyone, obviously, ESPN, but I knew so many yeah. people. I knew exactly how to meet my task, like to, to complete my task for the day. And it wasn't that, obviously, there wasn't ways to grow. I just didn't feel like I could challenge myself anymore in that role because one of the unfortunate things sometimes about a place like ESPN, it takes a long time for them to change. And it truly make the changes that I feel like would lead to success in some ways, especially for social and digital media pl platforms. Yeah. And so I was tired of just coming up against that same hurdle of like, we should have these people on SportsCenter or we should try these angles of content. It was like, that's not really us. Yeah. But I knew I wanted to figure out that space. I wanted to learn how to thrive in that kind of space as well. So Bleach Report obviously was very attractive to me because even at ESPN, like we knew about how well they were being received by younger audiences. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to see what that was like. And I wanted to also challenge myself to see how successful I could be outside of a place I felt very comfortable. Yeah. Like to your point, I could have stayed there for another 10 yep. years, but I just, I wanted to see how well I would do in another place. And uh, I was really excited that I took that risk because why leave someplace that's so comfortable, mm -hmm. especially if no one's telling you you have to go. Like, that you're so well-received and, and appreciated there. But I wanted to do some stretching, and I'm thankful that I was able to earn that role. And I completely, like, stretched beyond what I even thought was possible. I think it's so interesting, because I, I, we just recently had a reunion from the people that I started out with at CNN Sports Illustrated. And, this, okay. and then, like I said, it was a, was a while ago. And, you know, it's all people now that— like Mike Schiffman, who's a SVP at ESPN, is like yeah. somebody I started out with. And so all of us were going to get back together. And I think it's interesting in that it seems like there's there's two kind of paths for people. Some people are still there where I used to work at CNN Sports Illustrated. Mm -hmm. And others of us 
went out and found our voice somewhere else. And yeah. I like that, which is exactly what you're saying is like, I could have stayed at CN. I could have still be working there, but I wanted to go out and explore. I want to go to different places. I want to try different things. And I think that's, I mean, you can see that divide amongst people where that, those are, those are big life choices. And mm -hmm. I can totally understand why you wanted to go explore your voice and push into a different area at Bleacher. Yeah. And, so, and I'm, and I'm really glad I did. Cause I also think that ESPN was, it's, how do I say this? Not like it was a college experience, but I just felt like there was so much I needed to learn about the industry that ESPN was able to give to me. And so I'm super thankful that I started there. Yeah. I got to learn about so many different sports. I got to work with so many top talent who still are there today, obviously. Yep. And um, it just really taught me a lot of skills about how to work in competitive environments, how to work. Again, I, I had to learn how to talk to the sports I was weaker in because everyone wants to do a football show. Everyone wants to do right. the basketball show. So I'm, I'm not the big fish in a small pond there. So I had to branch out and to learn other things to do. I had to learn social media because not everybody could do that. So I was just super excited that I just knew myself enough to know, like, I'm not growing anymore here. And I feel like someone else could probably do this role who, who has that hunger that I was kind of losing on my side. And it wasn't so much ESPN's fault. It was just my personal interest to keep going after, okay, what's new and next? Yeah. If it's taking the ESPN a little bit of time to do that, and rightfully so, they're a big company. So it's going to take them a bit longer to make these sweeping changes as far as how they identify themselves and how they portray that to other people. Yep. So Bleach Report just gave me an avenue to do that in a quick way. And I always thought to myself, hey, if I can come back to ESPN, which I kind of did after a blip with uh, Bleach Report. So oh, okay. It was just a really good experience for me. Yeah, no, I love that that desire to keep growing and to push into new areas, which brings us perfectly to where you are now. Because Snapchat's <laughs> yeah. a completely different area once again. So why Snapchat? Why did this make sense for you on your career journey? Why was this the right like channel for your style, your niche, where you want to be? Why? Yeah, so honestly, a part of it wasn't all my own doing because I got laid off from Bleacher Report. And that's where I learned another big phase about professional Those life bastards. and how. What the hell is wrong with them? <laughs> yeah, I quickly learned. Oh, it's not personal. It's just business. But sometimes business can be very personal. Like I felt. Oh yeah, it can. It was yes. personal to me to get laid off. Um, and it was forget another... Bleacher Report. We're done with them. Go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, but see, that's the thing. I guess I just realized just how often orgs change and how often mm. things that were a priority one day can be different in another. And so it just go back to the points of being hungry to learn because I was able to learn so much about social media in both jobs at ESPN and Bleacher Report. I knew I wanted to work for another company that really prioritized social media. And so when I looked around at roles, I saw the role at Snapchat. I was like, oh, how better would that be to actually go infiltrate the social media world itself and work for one of those companies? And as I started to look through just what Snapchat's about, I fell in love with just how they embrace their employees, like their kindness and how they're not just about comments. So it's better to have a, a content up there because you, people aren't washing it down with like another LeBron post or why are we covering right. women's sports? People don't care. Like that kind of trash sometimes that exists on social. Mm -hmm. The content kind of stands on its own on Snap. So it's really cool just to see how people make the decisions to tap in and watch and then Obviously, we go off the engagement numbers that we see of how well it's being received. So I was really excited to just kind of get that experience. Um, so obviously, I didn't 
actively seek it out just on my own one day, but I did have an idea of where I wanted to go after Bleacher Report. There's a changing audience for sports content. We both know that. It's changed a lot since I first broke into the industry. It's changed even since you started ESPN. I want to dig yeah. into that. But before we before we really dig into that, I want to understand your role and what it means. You're the lead sports producer at Snapchat, which is a great title. <laughs> but what does this mean for you on the day-to-day? And I know that no two days are the same. I know it's completely different, but kind of an overarching sense. What does that mean for you? What are your main directives? Yeah, so as a lead sports producer, I pretty much am providing editorial feedback to current partners that we have on Discover, as well as new partners who want to pitch shows to come on Discover. Um, like in comparison to other platforms where like a YouTube, like anyone can make a show, you, you do your profile, you create it there, or to like like the top streaming platforms of today where obviously there's like a budget in place, you have to convince them, yeah. you guys come on board. Our relationship is a bit more in the middle, maybe even more a little bit closer to YouTube where partners who have an interest in coming on Discover will come to someone like us for our vertical. So I represent sports. There's obviously someone who does lifestyle entertainment and news. They present us these pitches. If it meets our content guidelines, if we see a need for it and we see that it'll be, you know, obviously appealing to our audience, we then onboard it. And then I'm the person who provides them feedback to guide them to a successful place. So I'm pretty much invested just as much as that partner is to be successful on Snap because each show is a reflection of who we are and and what we want to show our viewers. So it's a lot of partners, obviously. I obviously don't talk to every single one of them. Um, but I was say, just, how many partners are you managing? That's a lot. It's a ton of partners. And obviously there's more people on my team outside of myself. Um, but yeah, it's just been a really great experience to work with them and kind of just speak to what we think could be successful for our platform. Okay, so what is that answer? And I know, I don't mind asking you to give away any company secrets, but what is successful? Seriously, what is successful in sports content now? Because I feel like it's so rapidly changing. The demand, the interest, the audience, the expectations. Like, it's changing so rapidly. How do you put your finger on, this is what works? Yeah, and and it's and that is the key to everything, right? Like, if we knew... Yeah. <laughs> if if someone had that answer, like the foolproof answer, then obviously that person will be manipulating you in every way. But um, I think it's a bit of just from my personal experience, like me being yeah. hungry and going after what I think could be good and learning. I also have like a genuine fan perspective of sports. So I obviously am often on social media myself, um, scanning through the feeds to see what's trending, what went viral and why. And honestly, I think I've seen a big response to the individual athlete more so than the teams. Like people want to have these one-on-one connections with who's playing that sport. And I think that's why we're asking now for more athletes to share, what did you do before the draft? Or what are you doing in between games? Um, what's it like to get in an argument with your teammates? Like we want these unfiltered moments and because we feel like it helps us just human, like humanize these people who are like yes. superstars. Like we want to see how they relate to us on like in a day-to-day. And so I think that above else is something that I think is really just compelling to viewers in sports today. Because obviously, to your point, we all can see the highlight, but I wanted yeah. to see Ja's dad kind of dap it up with Usher after the highlight. Because how cool is that, that these athletes have these now connections with people in music. Mm -hmm. And so I just really love how people really just want to have more of these connections with who they're rooting for. And I think that's exciting because we're seeing that also kind of translate to what we see as successful in Snap 2 with just getting this unfiltered access in whatever way people can format that, whether it's like a follow doc, whether it's Mm -hmm. truly like that story approach where it's just going through their day-to-day routine. 
that's just been really compelling for our viewers. I love that you're saying that because I have always been so drawn to behind the scenes content, that stuff you don't see out there, that stuff that, you know, is user generated from, you know, the, the athlete themselves or whatever. And that stuff is just so mm-hmm. compelling because it's so real. It's authentic. Yeah. I know that word, that word gets overused, authentic, but like, <laughs> this is where it actually fits, right? And and I, I think it's mm-hmm. interesting. I had on a guest, Mike Nelligan, who's the CMO of Vayner Sports, so Gary Vaynerchuk's whole company. Anyway. Okay. Um, yeah. And he was he was he used to be an agent and he got into he's now in marketing because he's like oh, wow. athlete marketing is where everything is. The athletes want to build their brand, the athletes want to build their audience, the athletes mm-hmm. want to connect directly. So that speaks exactly to your ideas of what's in demand and what the the athletes themselves want to supply. And I, I just I love that stuff personally. Yeah. And I think even like just from a true fan perspective in sports, like I think a lot of people now would say not so much, oh, who's your favorite team? It's like, who's my favorite player? Yeah. Like how, like in that players are switching teams so often nowadays. So like people can say I root for LeBron. I don't necessarily root for the Lakers or I didn't necessarily root for the Heat or the Cavs. So I think that's just so interesting just to see how much that has changed. Because I don't think my dad will have that same sentence. My dad is loyal to the, he was loyal to the skins that I would like to call it. Um, yeah. Who now are the commanders? Like that's his you. team. Yep. Even when they had no mascot, he is a Washington football fan. So mm-hmm. there's people like that, and other people who I think would just float to wherever their favorite players are going. It's so true. So I grew up in Boston. So I'm a huge Celtics fan, Patriots oh. fan, that whole niche, right? So I had a great night last night, by the way. Um, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, but it's funny with my kids; they are much more driven to individuals rather than team. So they're the same way. Mm-hmm. They cheer on for LeBron or Ja or like other players. That's what they're drawn to versus like, I'm a team, I, I, w- this team through and through. Uh, so it's just, yeah. it is interesting. Fandom continually change and, changes and evolves. Yep. And, 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 and this user interest may completely be different, you know, in a year from now, in a few years from now, especially yeah. as some of these great athletes that we're naming. I mean, Ja is obviously young, but like LeBron and Curry ain't going to stick around forever. Nope. We know Brady's kind of on his last hoorah, who's now going to make more money when he leaves the league. That's crazy. So it's like, we're going to have to obviously see how people change when it's not like that big top dog in the league who's kind of like... It's a Jason Tatum world. Or I mean, it's yeah, Jason world. Tatum world. That <laughs> yeah, is. That's my world, at least. That's what I'm going for. <laughs> I wanted to be a Jason Tatum world. Now I'm with you. Yeah. It, it is. It's like, you're right. As as these players cycle through and KD and all of them, you know, and it, through NFL, mm-hmm. through every sport, you're going to have icons leave and then it's what's next. And you and the audience often changes around with that. So I really want to dig into this stat because I think this is super impressive. Over 200 million Snapchatters watch sports publisher and show content in 2021. Boom. That's amazing. But what we also know is a lot of the Snapchat audience is engaging in a second screen method where they're watching mm-hmm. the game and engaging with sports content. What's the pr- approach then for creating content when you know a large portion of the audience is actively multitasking? Does it change the way yeah. that you have to be shorter or more aggressive or whatever? Does it kind of change your focus and approach when you know that's the experience they're living in? Uh, definitely. And that's why, like, my role itself, like, when I look at pitches, like, we want shows to be very fast-paced, and we want it to have live dynamic visuals, and we really just want it to be something that catches your eye. Like, I also don't want to mislead the point of saying, like, fast-paced means it has to be cut into, like, this super-fast montage where everything's only two seconds long. It's more so a pace where it's hard to look away, and obviously you can keep your interests. And for that reason, we really prioritize like the cold open. Like, how are you starting your episode? 
What's that first shot that they see? And it doesn't have to be someone screaming. It doesn't have to be like a slam dunk. It's just how obscure and engaging can that moment be where people have to stick around to watch, see what happens next. And so that's something that we really prioritize when we look at at least sports content on our platform. Yeah. Um, just wanting to grab that user attention because we know that people are multitasking. We know that people aren't necessarily like sitting down on the couch for the night to watch a Snapchat show. So how can we keep their interest there? Yeah, it's got to be such a challenge. Um, do you have any certain examples right now of anything that's caught your eye? Are there certain people that or, or partners that are like doing this in a really great way that some of our audience should maybe check out and kind of connect with? I can definitely tell you my personal favorites. So like- Yeah, go. One that I really love, I, well, I won't even say that, but one of the things that I really love is the NFL channel. They have an NFL highlights channel. Mm -hmm. And it's because it, they do so much more than just obviously showing you the top plays from the game. Like me, myself, I live in California. Yeah. As I said before, my dad is a Washington fan. And obviously I have a few other teams I like to follow myself. So I can't even see all the games that my dad wants to talk about all the time. The cool <laughs> thing about the NFL highlights show is that they're updating. It's almost like red zone. But even better than that, because they're showing me the highlights. They're also showing me these really cool moments in between from fan reactions to player reactions on the sideline. It's just a really cool experience of how they're really just appealing to all users. And I've really enjoyed watching that channel. I'm also a big fan of a few other channels. We have uh, this channel called from Playmaker called This Day in Sports. Okay. And it's just a really fun recap of the sports news. And obviously, I'll never forget my family, ESPN, SC Now is a fun watch, and SportsCenter. And pretty much what I love about all these channels is just how they are creating an experience that's obviously enjoyable for sports fans, but anyone. Like, there's not a lot of sports knowledge that's required to find the content engaging. Like, they have a way to bring in fun memes, bring in fun reactions to really help it be something that would appeal to anyone. And that's why I really enjoy it. Our editing team that will work on this episode and does a lot of our promotional videos really loves to put my face on dancing people and things like that nature. So yeah, <laughs> I understand where production value comes into making it sticky and making people want to watch and, and just really driving through it. So it's cool to see those production elements get the respect they deserve, man. I, I, I'm a fan of, of, of fun production and, and making it something that's visually appealing. So that's cool. Those are some good channels to, to tune into for the audience. So how much pressure is there? Now, it's, your role is a little different now where you're, where you're, you're fielding the pitches, but you've mm -hmm. been in a creative role your entire life. How hard is it to, because I, I struggle with this, how hard is it to always be creative? Because you said yeah. it, what's popular now is going to change next month. What's popular changes by the minute. The way we approach fans is going to be different next year. You create something amazing, and then what's next is the next is always what's what's coming at you. Like, how hard is that to? Do you feel that pressure to always be creative? Yes, and and and, and definitely in this space of working in social and digital, because I feel like the assumption is that what's the answer to making this go viral? What's the answer yes. to making this get a million views? And I feel like they just have this, sometimes there's this expectation to know how to deliver that. And I think sometimes, obviously you hear people say, it's a science, like it's all about rigging the algorithm or other people say, you just need a celebrity. But I've seen in both instances how that's not always the solve. And so it's definitely a challenge and it's definitely stressful at, at times where you think you present an idea and you think it had the ability to go the lengths and it doesn't. And I just think that's just a testament to just how frenetic people can be in the social media space. Yeah. And it's had, it's, and I think it's important again, to not so just much focus on what goes viral, but to truly value strong content 
Because strong content, I think, will always be surfaced to the right fans that will get that engagement that they're looking for. And that's what I've come to learn and value. Like the engagement we see with different sports. I mean, obviously, like a track and field show won't be the same as the NFL show. But that engagement number, how long they're watching, how much they are subscribing to the content, coming back to watch more. I value a lot in that because I know that's a good experience. And so I've come to learn just how important it is to to truly just be appetizing for all viewers and not be so much caught up in the virality of it all. I just love that Snapchat has that that feel for me to get that experience. I think that's cool too because chasing virality is so un, it's like impossible. It's it's there's no secret sauce there. There are things that go crazy that you have no idea why sometimes. So just create good stuff and and see what happens, right? Um, yeah. Let's spin off of Snap for a little bit. I just want to finish up with a little bit of a conversation on more global advice that may help the audience in their growth. So you've been at ESPN, you've been at Bleacher, you've been at Snap, you've been around a lot of different type of people. What do you see as those keys to success in the sports industry? You yourself, obviously a curious, continual learner. That's super important. What else do you see out there? There's some of those keys to success in the sports industry. Well, one, I think it's really important to be patient. Like when you enter the sports world, there's so much that looks so attractive and you want it all right then and there. And I just think there's a lot of people who want to work in this industry. And I think it's just important to be patient and to wait for your time because it will come if you're continuing to do hard work, if you're continuing to seek out those opportunities. There definitely has been times in my career where I would I wanted to cut like the top game highlight for Sports Center. And I was mad when I couldn't. And obviously there's a long line of people who want to do that as well. Yeah. And eventually I did get the national championship game for college football to cut that highlight. And it was amazing to get that experience. And it just it just showed me how important it was to be patient because when I wanted it, I didn't necessarily have the skills ready to do it right there, right. then and there. So I just think there's so many people in this industry that it's just important to be patient, to use that time to learn and to grow yeah. and to find those new skills. And I've seen how that has resulted in success for myself and other people. I think also being kind, like... I know it sounds very hallmarky, but I can't tell you enough about how many people I met at ESPN and at Bleach Report that obviously I'm fielding pitches now for Snapchat or they've met, they've introduced me to other people. And I feel like my network is so big just because of how I always just connect with people as people, like from the athletes themselves to the hosts. Like we're all people at the end of the day. We all go home and we just want to have a nice night. And so um, I think that just really just makes a difference in far as who they want to have on their team or who they want to talk to at the end of the day. So I know I think that makes so much sense. And I don't think we emphasize that enough. You know, we, we so often talk about, and we'll, we'll finish up with this question that we so often talk about the grind and we talk about how hard you have to push and competition and blah, blah, blah. But really, I mean, being kind goes a long way and I'm glad that you said it. I think that's really important. Speaking of Sports can be a grind. You talked about the schedule earlier. It can be a little bit tough. You can work holidays. You can work late nights. You can work crazy times, tough schedules. It can be relentless. How do you protect yourself and your mental health and get yourself feeling balanced throughout this process? Because I think this is one of the areas we don't talk about enough in the sports industry. And the young people that are listening in our audience need to get this kind of advice. They need to know how to find that balance because you can grind yourself right out of the business. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And 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 there was a part in my life where I did. Like I, again, at ESPN, those, those first few years, I didn't really work a normal schedule. Like I was working at nights. You don't travel on the holidays because that's when a lot of sports events are happening. Yep. So there definitely is a grind there. And my desire to do the job so well, 
I wasn't worried about taking vacation or trying to, you know, give myself the peace of mind I needed. I wanted to go to any event they invited me to, any field shoot I wanted to do. So there's definitely is that hunger that can sometimes lead to some parts of yourself not being cared for. And so it just, it took me a while, honestly, just to learn how I need to take moments for myself. Yeah. Especially now, even in this remote world working environment because of the pandemic. So now more than ever, it's hard to separate work time from personal time because I'm working in the same location. And I've just come to learn how there's little tricks I can do to start making sure I take time for myself. Like my current manager has taught me so many great things and I really have been just inspired to work for the different people I've had and how they've taught me just how to protect myself and also how to know when it's time to take some time off. Hey, if you're feeling overwhelmed, like take that time, block some time during your calendar where even though it's not a meeting, it's for you. It's for you to close your laptop and to take those steps away. And I think one thing above all, it's just important to know. (laughs) And I have a son too. So I think it's just important (laughs) to (laughs) to know when you should take time for yourself, which should be often because yeah. no one else is going to remind you to do that. No yeah. one's going to tell you, I had noticed you haven't taken any vacation. Take some before the end of the year. Now, luckily, I've had managers that have been so um, thoughtful in my personal space. Yeah. But I just think it's really important for you to always give yourself grace and to remember that, hey, this is just my job. Like, this doesn't have to be my full identity of who I am. And for that reason, I know I can take some time for me and to not feel guilty when you do that. I love that advice. I think it's a perfect place to stop so that everybody remembers that advice because we do. We burn ourselves out. We grind. We think we have to compete and beat everybody else. And it's just uh, it's having balance with your normal everyday life and your personal relationships. I tell this story all the time. Like you, when you're working in sports and you work six at night till two in the morning or late nights, and then you have a relationship and they're working nine to five and their days are Monday through Friday and you don't see them enough. And that damages Mm -hmm. that relationship. It's like, is that really what I want? You know, so you have to find those balance. You have to find those ways to connect all those dots in your life. And I think that's super important. And I hope we continue to talk about it. Nicole, this is awesome. I'm so glad we finally got to have this conversation. Thank you so much for coming on. Great yeah. conversation. Thank you so much. I know our audience is going to absolutely love this. Yeah, and then you'll also probably love this in the background. You can Paw watch Patrol's Paw Patrol. When we put this out on YouTube, you'll be able to watch Paw Patrol in the background because Nicole yeah. is multitasking right now. You may have heard her son's voice a couple times in there, and that's fine. That's life. That's how we all operate, right? <laughs> yeah, but no, this is a great conversation. Thank you so much, Brian. Just want to really thank Nicole for being a part of the show. It took us a little while on our schedules to make this one line up, but I'm so thrilled that neither one of us gave up. You know, we had some conflicts in schedule and we we're like, let's let's make this happen. And, I, and I'm, I'm really glad we did because I want to shine a light on the creators out there. I want people to know that they do have these platforms to share their work and to be their true self and do get that message out there and share their voice. I think that's so powerful in today's world is to be able to take your vision, create it, and have a a channel to amplify it. And that's where Snapchat really comes into this. And I think that's, there's some amazing stats in there about the impact of Snapchat. And as as many of you remember from our interview with Jack Settleman, who started Snapback Sports, which is the most popular channel on Snapchat, there's a really powerful audience there that people are tapping into. And if you're a creator, 
that's somewhere you should be leaning into. Thank you, Nicole, for coming on the show. Thank you to everybody for listening. Please rate, review, subscribe. We want to stay high in the podcast rankings so other people can find us. That's how we continue to grow and be able to leverage that to get great guests for all of you. So thanks for listening. Thanks for being a part of it. We'll see you next week.